Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Morning. Morning. It's great to be here. You know, I usually sit in the back um, of the church with my family, and so I don't get to see you all from up here. You know what? You're a good-looking group. This is a great group. You know, we started attending here about two years ago. Um, We actually visited 12 churches. And when we first came here, because um, some of our friends were coming here, we knew that this is where God wanted us. So I just want to thank you as a congregation, really, for welcoming us. I want to thank uh, Josh and Chip and the leadership um, for really feeding us and being there for us and for asking me to come and preach this morning. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the one thing that we are called to do for God. Now, when uh, Chip uh, asked me to preach, by the way, hello, Chip, if you're in Pasadena, glad that, uh, that you're uh, joining us. Hope you don't regret this. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying that um, frigid weather there in Pasadena, 77 degrees today. I'm jealous. But as I was thinking about this one thing, really what I want to talk about this morning is one thing that we need to know in order to really discover the one thing that we're called by God um, to do. So as I was thinking about this, there is this one verse that kept coming to me throughout the week. The verse is from 1 John 2, 6. It says this, Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Whoever says, I abide in Christ, has to walk as Christ walks. Wow, that blew me away. Because as I thought about my life, I don't know if I walk as Christ walks. So my bigger one thing, as I thought about it, is this. I want to do a better job imitating Christ. I want to love people like Christ loved people. I want to bless people like Jesus blessed people. I want to obey, pay attention to Jesus' commands in my life. I want to go and make disciples. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to forgive 70 times 7. I want to live more like Jesus. I want to walk as he walked. Whoever says, I abide in Christ, ought to walk just as he walked. I love what Francis Chan, a pastor I know in California, is the author of Crazy Love. Maybe some of you have read that. Um, I love how he puts it. He says this. He says, we do a weird thing in church. We'll take verses or even Jesus' commands and we'll memorize them. We'll study them, but we won't actually do what they say most of the time. That's true in my life. I don't know if I always do what Jesus commands. Now, 
Let me give you an example. How many of you remember the game Simon Says? Now, if you don't remember that game, it's probably because you're too young and there's not an app for that game. (laughs) But that game goes something like this. Simon says, pat your head. Simon says, rub your belly. And this was always the toughest for me. Simon says, pat your head and rub your belly. It was a simple game, right? But when it comes to what Jesus says, the game is totally different. You see, when Jesus says, what do we do? We don't actually do it, we memorize it. You know, I have a 13-year-old daughter, Emily. It'd be kind of like this. If I went to Emily and I said, Emily, your room's kind of messy. Can you go clean your room? Can anybody uh, relate to that? Emily, can you go clean your room? Now, two hours later, Emily's not going to come to me and say, hey, Dad, guess what? I memorized what you said. (laughs) Emily, go clean your room. (laughs) And I'd be like, that's awesome. Come here. No, and then she says, no, Dad, no, wait, wait, wait. Guess what? I also know how to say, go clean your room in Greek. (laughs) And later on, I'm going to bring my friends over to the house and we're going to have a small group and we're going to talk about what it means to clean my room. (laughs) We're going to do it for five weeks. We're going to have a five-week study. Now, that's not okay, right? That's not, Emily knows not to do that. Why is it that we think that that's okay with God? I'm going to have to face the Lord at some point And he's going to say to me, Dave, you're awesome. You memorized what I told you. In fact, wow, you know Greek? Jesus is not going to say that. Jesus is going to say, I gave you those commands so that you could live and walk as I have. You know, as we transition to our scripture passage today, I think it's important for us to, um, it's really an evangelism sermon. Um, I, I think it's important for us to look at the passage and to figure out how can we walk as Jesus walked as we look at the passage. And I think as we look at how Jesus walked in this particular passage, I think that will help us to figure out what our one thing is. So let's go, if you have, let's go to the, uh, Luke 24 chapter 13 through 34. Now, I'm going to read the whole passage so you get the whole context. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to those. Or um, there's two Bibles in the chairs. Verse 13. Now, this is after, this is an Easter morning. So it says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, 
their faces downcast, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visitor visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. As we look at this passage, I just want to pay attention to four verses, four things that Jesus either says or does. The first one is verse 15. It says, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus himself came up and walked with them. Now this verse is reminiscent of John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love how the message translation um, translates this. It says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what we need to do. We need to walk with others. Because here's the truth. We can't live out the great commission or the great commandment in church within these four walls. We need to shift from being inwardly focused to being outwardly focused on what God is doing in the world because God doesn't just exist here, right? God is active in the world. Now, one of the things I think that we sometimes mistaken is that the church is the destination for us. The church is not the destination. Let me give you an example. I travel a lot. Anybody else travel a lot in the room? So I have maybe 40 trips a year, um, and I'm on planes a lot. And one of the places that I travel through is Atlanta, 
Airport. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's huge. It's a great place. In fact, I got excited one year when they opened a Chick-fil-A in Concourse A. It was so exciting. Now, here's how Atlanta Airport measures their success. How many planes are safely close to the hub? How many people are in the terminal? How much activity there is? But when I go to Atlanta Airport... I know that's not my destination. That's only a a place where I stop, where I rest, than a place that takes me to my destination. The church is not our destination. The church is a place where we worship, where we pray, where we encourage each other, where we have community, a place where we have Bible studies, all great things, a place where we worship. But really, the church is a place also that um, encourages us, trains us, prepares us for our destination, which is our lives, for being sent out by God. Here's what John 20, 21 says. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Notice that the mission is God's mission, right? Not our mission. Jesus is sending us to join God in God's mission. What the church is, is a group of people on mission with God. So the first thing we need to do is um, walk with people, walk with those around us, those in our neighborhoods, those in our communities. We need to be everyday missionaries. The second verse, verse 19, they're talking together discussing things that happened in Jerusalem, and then um, Jesus says, what things? Now, this is a strange verse for me. Do you know why? Because, help me with this, was Jesus at the crucifixion? Was Jesus at the resurrection? Yes. So why does he ask this question, what things? What things? You know, some of the um, biblical scholars think it's to get Uh, these two uh, disciples to make a confession of faith. I think it's actually deeper than that. I think it's different than that. You see, the verse tells us right before that that they were downcast. They were sad. They were hurting. They were having a bad day. They were having a bad week. Their best, one of their best friends had just been killed. They were having a tough time. I think Jesus says what things so that he can enter into their pain, into their sadness, into their stories, into their narratives. Now I have asthma. Anybody else has that? Okay. So the thing about um, asthmatics, I think people think the problem asthmatics have is that we aren't able to get enough air into our lungs. But it's actually the opposite. We can't get bad air out of our lungs. I think everywhere around us, there are people who want to share their story, their pain. They want to exhale. We need to enter into people's narratives and stories. You know, if I had 10 minutes to share the gospel with someone, I'd spend the first nine minutes listening. 
listening not just to their story, but to what God is up to, what God is doing in that person's life. Verse 27 says, Jesus explained to them what was said in all scripture concerning himself. The gospel is centered on Jesus Christ. People aren't saved by our lives or even by their own lives. They're saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We need to proclaim Christ. We need to pay attention to the tap. You know, I'm an Oakland Raiders fan. Sorry. (laughs) We've had a bad couple decades. I know one of my brothers there is an Oakland Raiders fan. There you go. Um, It's so funny that I can talk about the Oakland Raiders to anybody. I can argue with them about the Oakland Raiders because I love the Raiders. I love talking about them. But when it comes to talking about Jesus, it gets a little tougher. But the Bible tells us that we have to be prepared to give the hope that we have. We need to pay attention to the tap. Let me give you an example. I collect books. I think that was in my bio. I collect um, C.S. Lewis and the Inklings, first editions. I have um, letters signed by Lewis, books signed by Lewis, letters by uh, J.R. Tolkien. Um, I uh, collect um, um, early printed books, so... In Canabula, which is like 1500 to 1700, I collect literature, all kinds of things. But I've collected these over the years. When I was at Fuller Seminary a number of years ago, I used to always go to this one bookshop right on Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena. Now, if you ever uh, watch the Rose Parade, the Rose Parade runs down Colorado Boulevard. But I, was, I would always go to this one bookshop. I'd go there for years and years, even after I became a pastor in Southern California. So one um, week, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, I went to this bookshop, and the bookshop has mostly glass and two huge glass doors. I opened the glass door, and then there's usually an employee, probably from here to where that chair is, the first chair, at a counter. And so when I open that first door, I walk in and I see Victor. Victor is a longtime employee. Let me tell you about Victor. Victor is an interesting guy. He ran an anarchist press uh, on the side. His dad was a famous uh, communist. And he was one of those people that you never knew what was going to happen. Like you could walk in and he could yell at you. You could get into an argument. He was one of those porcupine-y kind of people. Like you just wanted to, at times... Um, steer clear of Victor. But I would continue to go in and I'd be super nice to him and I'd ask him how he was doing. You know, and I'd heard him at times argue with people about Christianity. He was very antagonistic to Christianity and to Christians. He was one of these people that I would call extra grace required people. Now, do you know anybody like that? Now, if they're in this church, don't look at them right now. Guess what? If you don't know anybody like that, extra grace required person, it's probably you. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I'm actually not kidding. (laughs) So I went in and Victor was there. 
I walked up and then Victor asked me a question. I was a pastor in a church called Church of the Valley, about this size in um, Southern California. Um, uh, walked in and Victor said to me, he said, so I hear, this was, a, I've, I've known Victor by then probably six or seven years. And he said, I hear that you're a Christian. And I thought to myself, is this a good thing? Or is this a bad thing? Like, are we going to have a fight, you know? Are we going to start going at it? And so I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Then he said, he asked me this question. He said, so I hear you're a pastor. And I thought to myself, is this a good thing? Or is this a bad thing? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor at Church of the Valley um, in the high desert. And, you know, I told him about the church a little bit. And then he asked, and then he said this to me. He said, huh, I never would have thought that you were a pastor. And I thought to myself, is this a good thing? Or is this a bad thing? And then he asked me this question. He said, so what's your story? And I felt the tap. You know, when your hands get all clammy and you, know, you don't know what to do. I felt the tap of the Holy Spirit and I shared my story with Victor. I shared how I had come to Christ in college. I shared what I believed about Jesus. I didn't get all theological. I just shared my hope with him. Guess what happened right there in that bookstore on Colorado Avenue in Pasadena? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing happened. But here's the point. I was faithful to God's tap. I was prepared to give an answer for the hope that I had. But the story doesn't end there. A few weeks later, right before Christmas, I, walk, I, I go back to uh, this bookshop. I open the glass door. There's Victor. And Victor comes running from there to here. You know, with like teary kind of eyes, he comes running and he gives me this huge hug. And I'm standing there and there's only one thing I could say. Dude. (laughs) Because this was Victor, right? You know, the extra grace required guy. I was like, what is going on? And then he told me this story. He said, you know, right around Thanksgiving time, I was having a hard time. Do you know that holidays are tough, are tough times for people? He said, I was in a very dark place. In fact, I thought about taking my life. And then he said, and I remembered our conversation and what you said about the God that you believe in. He said, I got down on my knees in my room and I just prayed to a God I didn't know to save me. And he said this, he said, my life is totally different now. 
In fact, I've lost some friends because my life is so different. And he said, and this is, this is kind of weird too. He said, you know, I see colors differently now. More brilliant, more vibrant. He said, what's that all about? And I said, Victor, it's because you're a new creation in Christ. Never give up on anybody. If you're in a dark place, maybe you are here. Know that God is near to you. We need to be prepared to give the hope that we have. Verse 30. Jesus was at table with them. We need to be at table with unchurched people. There's some cultural significance that we miss here. Being at table in this instance isn't just um, a sim- uh, symbolizing the, um, uh, when Jesus broke the bread with the disciples. Being at table in that culture meant that they were in deep relationship with each other. Sharing a meal, being at table, was much more significant than I think it is in our culture. Jesus was at table with them. I really believe that we need to be involved in the lives of unchurched people. It's not enough just to know them on a surface level or to go on periodic trips or works of service in our community. We need to actually have unchurched people involved in our lives. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, right out of college, I was a a junior high minister, probably a junior high pastor. Um, uh, For you, I was a junior high pastor in a place called Salinas, California. Now, Salinas was an interesting place. It's, It's a dangerous place. There's two major gangs in Salinas. The southern gang, which are called the Sureños, which are more Spanish-speaking Mexican gang. And then there's the northern kind of gangs, Mexican gangs, called the Norteños. And in Salinas was where they kind of battled it out. So Salinas has one of the highest um, rates of gang homicide in the country. In fact, presidents go to visit that place um, because of this high uh, homicide rate and the gangs that are infesting the city. Not the whole city was like that, but parts of the city. So I was working in this church called First Presbyterian Church in Salinas, working with junior hires. I love working with junior hires. I'm disappointed that there are no or very little junior hires here today. I know they're on a trip. But I love working with junior hires. How many of you have worked with junior hires? Yes. That's actually probably my favorite group. In fact, the reason I got into ministry, I was headed to med school, was because my uh, college pastor asked me to be a camp counselor at a junior high camp. Have any of you been to a junior high camp? (laughs) You know, Tony Campolo says junior high camp is the equivalent to the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. (laughs) 
He says, that's where junior high counselors pay for their sins. So I was with these junior hires in Salinas, and we grew in a year and a half from a couple, a few dozen to close to 300 students. Now, I remember some of the first students that started coming, and we were at about 30 or 40 students. A number of them were gang members um, from a particular gang in Salinas called Salinas East Market. And there was probably um, four or five or six that started coming. Now, I remember the thing that happened first when they started coming. The parents wanted to have a meeting with me. They wanted to talk about these gang members. And they said, what are you going to do about these gang members? So I said, I'll take care of it. And so what I thought to myself was, I'm going to take them to Wendy's. And so I took them to Wendy's. Now imagine this, me and five, six or so junior high, not just junior hires, but junior high gang members at Wendy's. It was embarrassing. I was embarrassed. You know, what if some of the congregation saw me with them or some of the leaders in the city or whatever? And so um, I would meet with them almost every other week for that whole year. And it was amazing. They started bringing their friends. A number of them came to faith in Christ and were baptized. Like I said, we grew from 30 to 300. Now, there was one of these gang members that was one of our success stories. His name was Miguel. And I saw a change in him. He had accepted Christ, and he said he was going to live for Christ now. And so one day he came into my office, and I saw that he was pretty beat up. And I was like, Miguel, what, what gives? I thought you were done with the gang thing. You know, I thought you were going to be following Christ. And he said, I am. That's why I look like this. You see, I told my gang that I wanted to leave. And the only way I could leave was to get jumped out. That's when they take a number of minutes and they just wail on them. He said, but that's how much I am committed to Christ. I felt ashamed. I remember a few months later talking to him and I said, so Miguel, what was a turning point for you. You know what he said? Wendy's. And he said, can I be honest with you? Uh, Pastor Dave, I said, yes, sure. What? He said, you know, when we first started to go to Wendy's with you, it was kind of embarrassing. You know, that actually opened up doors for me to be in the lives of these students' families. I was able to be at table with them. So here's the one thing. We are a sent people. We are sent to walk alongside other people. We are sent to enter into people's stories and their narratives. We are sent to share the good news of Jesus. We are sent to be at table with others. So how do we start? I'm going to give you some homework. Here's what I want you to do in the next week or two. 
I want you to bless three people. And one of them has to be someone that doesn't deserve it. Which is funny because we all don't deserve it, right? So think about, in your own way, how can you intentionally bless three people? Now there's this author, Reggie McNeil, that um, gave this assignment to a group in California. He said, go bless three people. So he got an email back from one of the people that attended. Said, um, the email said, dear Reggie, I took what you said seriously, and so I am going to bless the people at the Starbucks that I go to almost every day. Reggie gets another email and says, dear Reggie, this was working out so well for me. You know, at first when I would go to people and I would say, how are you doing? How's your day going? How can I pray for God to bless you today? They thought I was crazy and almost threw me out. He said, but pretty soon I became kind of like the chaplain to this Starbucks. Reggie gets another email. He said, dear Reggie, this worked out so well that my whole small group are going to bless all these Starbucks in Los Angeles in a 20-block radius. You know, we're blessing people. Reggie gets the last email. It says, dear Reggie, I went up to Santa Barbara, which is about three hours from Los Angeles. He said, I went up to Santa Barbara, and I went into the Starbucks, and I looked at the barista, and I said, how's your day going? Are you doing all right? Is there any way that I can pray for you or pray that God would bless you? He said, she took his cup and pulled it back. And she said to him, are you one of those blessing people? Wouldn't it be cool if people all around Louisville, wherever you live, said that about you? Aren't you one of those blessing people? I love this verse, 2 Corinthians, let me end with this, 2.15. It says, for we are to God a pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So we are a scent S-E-N-T, and a scent, S-C-E-N-T, people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you would help us to join you in your mission in our world. Help us to learn how to bless others because you have blessed us. Lord, we can't do this on our own, so we ask for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit and the encouragement of our community. We ask that your will would be done in Pasadena and Salinas and Louisville on earth as it is in heaven. And all of God's people say, Amen. We've heard the word of the Lord today that touches each one of us where we are in our own stories, in our own journey. And our hope and prayer is that God would be speaking to you right now about how you can be a blessing to those people he's bringing into your life. Maybe those extra grace people you were trying to get rid of, and maybe God's inviting you to invite them closer. Quiet at this moment as we sing this song, make this a place for you to commit to pray that you're going to invite people into your table to welcome them. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've known about Jesus, but you've never 
made a public confession and that you want to follow him as that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, we'd like to do that. Perhaps today you feel like God's calling you to join this church. We'd welcome you. Welcome Chris and Lori. We've known each other for a little bit, over a year, and they've um, come forward today to let you know they want to join this and make this their home church today. So we're very excited, Chris and Lori. You feel the Lord leading you to do that today. Uh, we're going to have deacons who are going to line up to come speak with you, and um, uh, I just want to offer a prayer, a blessing uh, over you real quick. Father, I thank you that you've led Chris and Lori from Southern California from all over to come here, and you brought them here for this purpose. Now, Lord, bless them and lead them um, in Jesus' name. Amen. David, would you make your way forward? Uh, thank you so much for sharing the word of the Lord with us uh, today. Uh, David, I know this was a sacrifice. David's on two antibiotics this week. He's been battling uh, as week, but to know God's going to do great things to the word that went forth. Would you uh, offer a blessing as we go? would love to do that. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and empowerment of the Holy Spirit be with you as you go out and bless people now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.